You know, this week I was reading about an early church father named John Christendom. Uh, he was an early church leader for, uh, known for his preaching, his public speaking, and for his denunciation of the abuse of authority by both church and political leaders. But what John was most known for was his boldness. Here's an example of something that occurred in his life. John, John was summoned before the Roman emperor Arcadius and threatened with banishment if he didn't stop preaching about Jesus. And here's, here, this was John's response. He said, you can't banish me for the world is my father's house. The emperor then said, then I'll kill you. And John replied, nah, you can't kill me for my life is hidden with Christ in God. The emperor then said, fine, then your treasures will be confiscated. To which John replied this way, that can't be. My treasures are in heaven where no one can break in and steal them. Exasperated, the emperor then threatened this, I will drive you from men and you will have no friends. To which John again had this response, you cannot do that either. I have a friend in heaven who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As the story goes, Christendom was banished to a remote place in the edge of Armenia. And all he did when he got there was preach the glory of the gospel of Christ. John Christendom, powerful example of boldness. There's no threat that could break him. There's no threat that could undermine his allegiance. Stories like these that remind me of that we like to bring these Christian leaders and put them up on this pedestal and think, man, I'm glad that God has Christian superstars like John. The problem is the Bible and Christian history is filled with people like this. I think that's what the author of Hebrews was getting at. Hebrews chapter 11 says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings, scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. He went on, he said, they were stoned. They were sawn in two, right? And then I love this, they were tempted. Like tempted is worse than being sawn in two. I love that. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. He continues, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. I mean, the Bible's filled with stories and examples of boldness in the lives of followers of God. Christian history is filled with examples and stories. I think that's what leads me to think that I, th I think there's a characteristic that ought to exist in every Christian. That's boldness. I think if there's anything that our culture needs more of, it's boldness. Now, let me be clear, that doesn't mean meanness. It doesn't mean loudness but boldly proclaiming the glory of God. Now, I'm not the only one who thinks that. D.L. Moody, the, the late preacher and evangelist, he said this, when we find a man meditating on God, my friends, that man is full of boldness and is successful. I think there's an effect of power that comes when we align our lives with Christ or filled with this Holy Spirit, and that's boldness. It's been seen in the lives of people throughout history. I think it's maybe a characteristic that Christians in our day can grow in. 
the question that maybe you have that I had is, well, how do we get that? Like, how did John become like that? I mean, if that's something that all of us should have, this boldness, I mean, how do those people before us, how'd they get it? And what can we do? That's what leads us to our passage in Acts chapter 4. What I'd like to ask you to do, join me in the book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to see how Peter and John, some of the early Christians, did it. I'm going to share that with you. As you're turning to Acts 4, let me just get you caught up in the context. Peter and John just finished the greatest inquisition that they've ever faced up until this time. The leaders, the religious leaders, the political leaders, the men of power in their culture, they had summoned Peter and John, they had questioned them, they had challenged them, and then finally they instructed them, said, no more preaching Jesus. And I think it's clear for our context, we got to be clear, they didn't say don't preach Jesus in that spot. They said don't preach Jesus at all. And Peter and John said, well, we can't do that. Acts 1.8, that's what we've been empowered for. We've been empowered to be witnesses. We've been empowered to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't do that. You're asking us to do something that would pit us against what God has called us to do. And last week, the text ended that they were threatened by those leaders and released. And I want you to see what, that's where we pick up the story. Verse 23, I want you to see the first thing they did. Look at verse 23, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. First thing they did, I love this. They didn't grab their attorneys. They didn't riot. They didn't roast people on social media. They didn't call for a special election to get all the leaders out. What's the first thing they did? Upon release, under threat from the powers that be in their culture, first thing they did was they went to their own companions their own companions in the Greek language likely describing a very distinct group, very private and personal relationships, people who knew them and were committed to them throughout their lives. The way I call it, they went to their people. First thing they did in the crucible of their life, under threat by the men of power, both religious and political, threatening them and directing them, the first thing they did as they found their people. Man, I was thinking about this. That's so, so countercultural to us, especially in Southern California. Man, we do not love close personal relationships. If we have garages, we pull in, we have a remote control, that door is opened and closed if we're good at it before we even get in the garage fully. I mean, it's possible to live in Southern California and, and be surrounded by millions and know nobody. And I think the Christian church in Southern California is the same. We have this idea of church, of showing up for an hour on Sunday, maybe depositing a check, maybe not, and heading out feeling like we've done our Christian duty. The problem is then we go throughout our lives Monday through Saturday and wonder why we lack confidence and boldness and faith. See, Peter and John are closest things to a superstar a Christian superstar that they had in those days. I mean, Peter, he was the original rock where Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you. Peter and John, I mean, they preached where thousands of people 
came to the Lord at one time. They were healing people. I mean, if anyone had the power and authority and ability to walk their Christian life alone, it would be Peter and John. First thing they do in the crucible of their life, in the trials and tribulations and struggles, first thing they do is they find their people. Man, if Peter and John need people in their lives, how about us? I think that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to get at in the book of Ephesians. Put your thumb in Acts, if you would, please, and flip over a few books to the right, to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians is written to a great church, one of the great churches of their time, one of Paul's favorites. Uh, It's a church that very much reminds me of you. They have a tremendous history They have a powerful ministry. There's health within the body. I mean, this is a fantastic church. And yet Paul still believed that they needed encouragement and exhortation. Ephesians 4, 14, in a passage where he's describing the body of Christ, listen to what he says, verse 14, as a result, as a result of those unified relationships, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, huge biblical but, right there, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I love that. Verse 15, but we're not supposed to be tossed here and there by every weird and kooky idea. Verse 15, but how do we do it? How do we grow up into all aspects? By speaking the truth in love. And that doesn't mean, I've said this before, it doesn't mean speaking truth as a smile. That term love is that Greek term agape that describes God's love for you and the type of love that we're supposed to have for one another. This type of love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. Keeps no record of wrongs. It believes all things. Bears all things. This love never fails. It's a communal love. It's a committed love. It's relational. Paul's saying, man, by having these relationships surrounded by people that know you and you know them and they know your heart and you understand theirs, it allows them to speak truth in your life and you receive it. And Paul is describing your people like these are people that are empowered to speak into your life. Man, sometimes we wonder why we lack boldness and courage and faith in this kooky culture that we live in. Could it be that you're trying to do it alone? Look at Peter and Paul, Chrysostom, and all those people. Well, no, Peter and John did it. First thing they did is they found boldness with others, they found their people. You might be here and say, Brian, I don't have any people. And that's how Southern Californians roll, especially Southern Californian churches. The bigger the church, the less you can be known, the less you have to be known. Maybe you're here saying, Brian, I, 
I think I need people in my life. Boldness, encouragement, people who will speak truth when it's difficult and encouragement when I'm failing. How do we find people? I worked with some of the people in the office, came up with some ideas. So my goal is that everyone has people by the end of the summer. Everyone has people. If you want boldness, first thing I think we need to do is find your people. Here's how you can find your people. Number one, start here, small groups. You might be like, Brian, I have no idea where to start. That's why we call it Start Here. Brian, I don't know how to find people. I don't know how to get people. I don't know how to be with people. Perfect. I found the nicest people possible to lead these groups. Now, some of you might be offended. I believe you're super nice too. You want to start a Start Here group? Come talk to me. But these are groups designed for you to go in and find people that over the years you can grow with, that you'll trust them and they'll trust you. Guys, you might be here like, Brian, if I want people, when I have to find people, those, these are guys. We drink coffee, we eat donuts, we get up early on Saturday mornings, like those are my people. We talk like a gruff. We got a group for you. Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Saturday mornings, there's coffee, there's donuts, there's gruff guys, and they do people. They can be your people. Ladies, we have a summer Bible study starting the end of the month. Fundamentals of the faith class. Pastor Jeff and I will be starting that class. You want to come in and find people? Learn fundamentals of the faith? Join us Wednesday evenings at 7. College group. Oh, I was expecting something bigger from you. There you go. You're college age. You're wondering where to find people. They're meeting right outside after this service. Free food. Free food? Free food. Games right outside. You don't have to sign up. Just go. You'll know where to find them. They're louder than this normally. They're right out here to the left. Young adults, you say, Brian, I'm not in college, but I'm not ready to adult either. We have a perfect group for you. They meet Sunday evenings. Sunday evenings, they meet together. ABFs, that's just Bible church talk for they meet on Sunday mornings. We have Encouragers, Legacy, Eagles Loft, Young Families. That's a new group. If you're here, it's like, Brian, we need people, right? We have nothing but babies crawling around our house. Like, we need our people. They meet first service. All this information is on the back of your bulletin. Potter's House. You might be here and you're looking for someone to speak Mandarin, and I don't do that, but we have a ton of people that do. We would love for you to find your people. In the bulletin, it's right there. You can just show up. But it, a lot of us, we need to be invited. We, we need someone to help us find people. And if that's you, there's a Connect card in the seat back in, in front of you. Fill that Connect card out. Just put your name, either a phone number or an email address. A member of the staff, we'll call you this week and we'll help you find people, I believe, if you want to have boldness, courage, and confidence in your faith, especially in Southern California, man, the first thing we need is people. First thing to do, find your people. But I want to make sure you understand the first people because look at what these people did. Right, Peter and John, the crucible of their faith. We're back to Acts chapter 4 in the crucible of their faith. They've been threatened. They've been told not to do it, right? And they've been released. First thing they do is they find their people. But look at what them and their people then go directly into. Look at verse 24. And when they heard this, 
When the people heard what's going on, look what they said. They lifted their voices to God with one accord. First thing they did was pray. They didn't riot. They didn't call for special elections. They didn't freak out. First thing they did upon hearing as they prayed, man, I want to make sure you know. If you want boldness, first thing you got to do is find your people. The second thing you got to do is find people who will pray with you. It says they lifted their voices with one accord. That phrase, one accord. Complete unity had the same reaction to the news. They were in step with each other this entire time. Everyone wasn't freaking out, and then all of a sudden someone says, you know what, I think we had to pray. That's not what happened. Peter and John found their people. Upon hearing it, together, everyone was like, I know the first thing we need to do. We need to pray. And then I was reading this passage, and I gotta tell you, there's a lot of great prayers in scripture, but this is fastly becoming one of my all-time favorites. Because look at how they prayed. They lifted their voices of one accord. They said, oh Lord, it is you. By the way, one accord, that doesn't mean they're all saying this one prayer in unison. Right? It's likely one person praying and everyone is agreeing, right? Like this is a thing. So often when we pray, one person prays, it's like everyone else sleeps. That's not how it is. With one accord, right? One person's praying, other people are like, that's right. Bring it. Let's go. Uh-huh. Like, this is a thing. Like, people are praying with one accord. They're together in this. And the first part of their prayer is they acknowledge God's sovereignty. Man, so often when I pray in the midst of the crucible of my life, the first thing I'm doing is raining judgment on someone else, asking favor for me, protection, peace, comfort. I start praying for me. But we need to remember the purpose of prayer is not to align God's will with mine is to align my will with God's. First thing they do is acknowledge God's sovereignty. Look what they do. They all come together. Oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of, your father, of our father David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against Christ. These people came together. They said, hey God, right here in the midst of the crucible, we are reuniting our heart with yours and recognizing you're sovereign. And they went to one of the best Psalms, Psalm chapter two. So put your thumb in Acts. Flip over to the left, book of Psalms. The second Psalm at the very beginning, book of Psalms, one of the first books of the Bible I ever learned how to find because it's easy, right in the middle. When we did Bible sword drills. You guys ever do Bible sword drills? You grow up in church, like someone gives a passage and you find it and stand up. One of these days we'll do a sermon series like that. You stand up and you read the right verse, you get a jewel in your crown. It's not true. You don't get a jewel in your crown, but we would do something. Psalm 2. Listen what it is. It says this, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. First three verses. The psalmist is saying, Why, why does it feel like all the world is, is coming together against God? 
against his plan. 11, he says, why are the nations in an uproar and the people's devising a vain thing? Some of your Bibles might say futile thing. A phrase is used to describe something that is pointless. A lot of noise, a huge disturbance that everyone knows won't change anything. This last week, I had to go by Target, pick up something for my wife. Upon coming in, I noticed there was a mom in that little dollar section. You know what I'm talking about right there? And you walk into the Target, and she's there trying to get her, what I'm guessing is around two-year-old son, to leave. And he did not want to go. Sitting there playing with all this stuff. And she said, let's go. And instantly, he dropped he fell. He was kicking, flailing, screaming. He was carrying on. It was bananas what this kid was doing. Didn't change the outcome one bit other than it just ticked his mom off, I'm sure. She just picked him up and carried him away. <laughs> All his carrying on, his kicking, him screaming, it did nothing. It changed nothing other than perhaps his afternoon when he got home because mama was hacked. But his actions, everybody knew it. His actions would change nothing. And that's the same thing the psalmist is saying here. Man, all the world, they're carrying on. They're doing all these things, wars and rumors of wars and political corruption and all this stuff's going on. Look, what he, look how they describe God's reaction. Look at verse 4. When all the world is uniting against God and his plan, look at verse 4. He who sits in the heaven laughs. Ho, ho, ho. Like God's not wringing his hands. Whoa, didn't see that coming. God's in heaven. When all the world's uniting against him, God's like, ho, ho. The Lord scoffs at him. He is absolutely 0% worried, concerned, freaking out about this. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Why isn't God upset, worried, concerned, freaked out? He already has Jesus in the position, like the plan's done. First thing, in the midst of the crucible in their life, Peter and John, they find their people. They find their people. Second thing they do with their people is pray. And the first part of that prayer is acknowledging God's sovereignty. Hey, God, here's what's going on. You already know, God. You're not worried. You're not concerned. You have this all under control, and then they give a case study for it. God, we know your Bible says this, and we witnessed it with our own eyes. Look at what they continue, verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Hey, we witnessed this with our own eyes. Pilate and Herod, they were enemies before Jesus. All of a sudden, they combined forces against him with the Gentiles and the religious leaders. All of them came together, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And all these people came together, and God, you still had Jesus pay the penalty for, your, for our sins, just like you wanted. And God, you raised Jesus up. In the midst of all that, all the world against you, you still raised Jesus up. In the midst of all that, Jesus still ascended and sent the Holy Spirit to fill his church. Right there, Peter and John, in the midst of the greatest crucible of their Christian life up to that point, 
They find their people, their people pray, and the first thing, the first thing they do is acknowledging God's sovereignty. And this is an important truth, I think, for us today. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Colossian church. Look at the, what he wrote, Colossians 1. He says this, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things are created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is, the, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And you want boldness in life? I mean, I, I'm telling you, I think what Southern California needs is Christians who are bold and confident in the midst of our kooky culture. You want to know how to do it. Number one, find your people. And number two, find people who will pray. Acknowledging God's sovereignty. Man, nothing going on. Nothing going on is happening outside of God's control and plans. They didn't stop there. Their prayers didn't end with just acknowledging God's sovereignty. It continued with aligning their hearts with his. I mean, again, that's what prayer is. It's aligning our hearts with God. Isn't that what Jesus did? Prayer at Gethsemane. Hey, God, here's my thoughts, but how did he end it? Not my will, but thy will be done. That's how he taught us to pray. So pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not our kingdom. I mean, we're not about our kingdom, our party, our plans. We're about God's kingdom, God's plans. Aligning our will with his. And look at this. Look at verse 29. Look what they say after saying, God, you're in charge. We know we're looking at life and things seem kooky. But God, we know you're in charge. Your word says it, and we've seen it in life. We know you're in charge. Verse 29, and now, God, because of that, take note of their threats. And we stop there like, okay, now they're getting human, right? Because that's what I'd say. Hey, God, take note of their threats, because I want to make sure every one of them gets their comeuppance. How many times do you pray like I do? Hey, God, sure. You're sovereign, you're in charge, but I hope you're taking note of all those people and they get theirs at the end. I want to make sure you see what these people prayed for. Number one, acknowledging God's sovereignty. Number two, aligning our hearts with God. And now, Lord, take note of their hearts and look what they asked for. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence. Hey, God, here's our prayer. We're being persecuted. We're being challenged. We live in kooky California. All this stuff's going on. Number one, God, you're not surprised by any of this. Number two, God, give us confidence to be a light for you in the midst of it. You see that? They're not asking for new leadership. They're not asking for favor or for comfort or anything like that. Hey, God, give us boldness. The darker the glory, the brighter the light that can shine through our lives. That's what they're praying for. It makes me wonder, like, man, what do they see that we don't see? Because I'm just being honest. That's not always my heart when I pray. How about you? Hey, God, it's kooky out here. Give me boldness. I'm 
See, I think they remember things that Jesus taught that we forget. Look at Luke 21. Those are words of Jesus to his disciples. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Let's pause there for a moment. Like, hey, in the midst of all of this struggle, can we go back one slide? Sorry. Go back to that first slide. It says, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake, don't worry, it will lead to an opportunity. All this struggle, all this suffering, all the, you just wait. There's an opportunity for your testimony. Now let's keep going. Man, Jesus sees persecution differently. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Hey, listen, Jesus seemed to tell his people, hard times are coming. And that's a perfect opportunity for your boldness. To be the city on a hill, the light in the dark. And don't worry about preparing beforehand. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll give you what you need to say. Apostle Peter said a similar thing to the early church. Look what he said in the midst of their persecution. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Man, don't be surprised by this. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter's like, look, if you're suffering for the cause of Christ, expect that. That's going to happen. Embrace it with boldness and be a reflection of God's glory. I love what he says next. He says, make sure, though, if you're going to suffer, don't do it as a murderer, a thief, evildoer. I love this next one. Troublesome meddler. Man, if, if culture's going to hate you and persecute you for being a Christian, don't make it because you're a pot stirrer. Look, if you're going to suffer, suffer for righteousness. Be bold, proclaiming the glory of God. And expect that there's going to be people that don't like it because when Jesus didn't, they didn't like it. But if you're going to suffer, can, you, can we make sure we're not suffering for those things? But, big biblical, but again, but if anyone suffers as a Christian... Is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. These Christians, they remember something I think sometimes we forget. Jesus is very clear with his followers. Look, it's not always going to be peachy. Oh, but Brian, we live in a Christian nation. Don't be surprised when stuff happens to you. These Christians, that's for boldness. God, hey, this is a kooky culture. Hey, God, things are heating up. Please give us boldness. They're not asking to change them. They expected culture to be that way. God, change us. Make us bold. Stir us up that we can be a light. Look, they're not done yet either. It says, give us confidence that we may speak your word with all confidence. Verse 30, and while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, if you've been around the church long enough, 
You know that verse that people disagree on. Some people say, no, no, we shouldn't pray for that. That doesn't, that, that's for another time. God doesn't do that stuff. I just want to let you know how I pray. How I pray for you. I pray for those of you who are ill. I pray for you often that God heals you. And that God heals you in such a way that your doctors and your family, they look in awe and amazement of what God has done in your life. I told you a couple weeks ago, one of my kids was dealing with medical issues and was in the in-feeding, inpatient feeding program. And what God did in my little boy in that three weeks amazed even the chief of that medical team where he told me, Brian, I, I, I've never seen a kid respond this fast and I know it's because your church is praying for him. And that's my prayer. But not my will, but God's will be done. I pray for your marriages, those of you whose marriages are breaking. My prayer is that God does a work of miraculous power in your marriage. That people see the power of God in a way that they cannot deny his authority and his work. I pray that God goes after your children and does such a work in the lives of your kids and your grandchildren that your neighbors and their friends see something different in them. Man, I pray for that. And if you're one of those people who say, Brian, I don't pray for that, that's not for today, have at it. But I want you to know, I pray for God's miraculous power in you, not for our comfort, but that people might see the power of God at work in ways that they cannot rationally explain. And that places you in a position to proclaim to them the glory and power of God. Man, you want boldness? If we want to see the church thrive in a place like Southern California, I think that's a great model. Number one, find your people. Number two, find people who will pray with you. Number one, acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Man, nothing. I know sometimes it feels like God has left, but he is not. He is at work. Pray acknowledging God's sovereignty. And number two, aligning our hearts with God. God, just give us confidence that whatever you're doing, we're ready to preach with boldness. God, if you want to do crazy works within our church that culture looks at us and says, I don't see how that's working, that just sets us up even more to proclaim the glory of God. First thing, you want boldness. Find boldness with others. Find your people. Second, Find boldness through prayer. Pray with your people. By the way, you want to start that in praying. First Monday of every month, I gather with some people here and we pray. Normally we gather in the sanctuary, but we're going to have sports camp and 300 plus kids here. So if you're not one of those kids and you're not coaching in one of those groups, you still want to pray. We're going to be in room six right over there. Right through those doors. We pray first Monday of every month, we pray. You're more than welcome to come and pray with your people with us. First Monday, every month. Someone earlier asked me, Brian, am I allowed to come? Like, am, am I one of the people that's invited? So you're all invited. You all can come. We have a maximum of 120 people in that room. If we get to that point, we'll figure it out. Okay? Last thing. Say so they didn't just pray for boldness. They, 
this boldness carried out through their life. They had boldness in their life. It wasn't just in their speech. It wasn't just in their words. It was in their life. Look what happened, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. The term shaken, it's a sign throughout Scripture that God was present with them. See, that's one of the, my beliefs that God has not left California. If God is anywhere, it's California, how often we shake. And let me tell you, look at, look at Exodus. Look what happened in Exodus, Exodus 19. Look what it says. He says, this is when Israel was coming through after their slavery to Egypt. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked. It's not just that. Look at a vision Isaiah had. Isaiah chapter 6, starting verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two covered his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. I choose to believe. I don't know if it's true. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But man, if shaking is ever a sign of God's presence, man, he doesn't, he hasn't abandoned California. He like lives here. Let's keep going. They were gathered together, the place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And there we go, and that's where the Christians go in the divided camps, and we all freak out, and we stop the story. Because all of a sudden, we're like, wait, they're filled? They're filled again? Wait, what? You have to be filled more than once? Like, are there multiple fillings? Is there only one filling? And then all of a sudden, Christians start arguing together. And so, I just want to tell you, there are so many different opinions about this text. You can Google it, read about it, but I want to tell you what I believe the text says. Right? Here's what the words mean. We're just looking at the text, all right? So there's two main words that describes filled. When it's talking about filled with the Holy Spirit, the term filled, it means to take up residence in, Right? It occupies believers and expresses himself through them. The Holy Spirit occupies you and expresses himself through you. Two words. The first word, pimplemi, often translated filled by, right? Accompanies a sudden equipping of the Spirit with power and boldness to proclaim the gospel. Pimplemi, this is the word used in Acts 4. This is the word correlates more closely with service and proclamation, never required or commanded of believers. They didn't say, Jesus, fill us with more Holy Spirit. That wasn't their prayer, was it? They prayed for boldness. Pimplemi correlates more closely with service and proclamation, never required or commanded of believers and given at the discretion of God. There's times, pimplemi, that's one of Luke's favorite words in Acts. That God does this work and correlates more closely with service and proclamation and it's never required. Nowhere in scripture is it you need to pray for pimplamy. Never. That's always at God's discretion to empower people to proclaim his word or serve him in some way. But there's another word. 
another word used for fill when it re, uh, revolving, involving the spirit, and it's plerao. Plerao, often translated full of. It is usually understood to describe someone who is characterized by the moral qualities and values of the Holy Spirit. It correlates more closely with Christian growth and character. It's commanded of all believers. It's something that you should have this. It's growth through repeated and continued submission to the Holy Spirit. Here's an example of its use, Ephesians 5, 18. Paul said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled, plerao, with the Holy Spirit. Demonstrate those characteristics in your life. If you want to geek out more about that, call me. We can go to coffee and argue more about it. But hey, here's the thing. See, here's what frustrates me. Christians get so divided, and we love to argue about what filled the Holy Spirit means that we forget the purpose of the passage. Remember, they prayed for what? Boldness. When they're done praying, the room shook. They're filled with the Spirit. And look at the end. And began to speak the word of God with boldness. First thing they did, boldness in their life with bold evangelism. They spoke the word of God with boldness. Again, that term boldness. It's, it's to have this ability to go in situations where other people move, other people tremble, other people quit. They had the ability to go in there and preach the gospel boldly. Right there in the midst of all this struggle, in the midst of the crucible of their faith, Peter and John, number one, found their people. Number two, prayed with their people, acknowledging God's sovereignty, aligning their heart with his, and then they lived their faith with boldness. First, with their words, but secondly, with their lives. Let's finish next couple verses. Verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any have need. Now, I've said it before. I want to be clear and say it again. What the Bible is describing here, it's called descriptive. It is describing what this group of believers did. It is not prescribing that all of you do the same. This is not me and the Bible telling you, all right, everyone who, has, who owns houses, sell it and give the proceeds to Brian. That's not what this is saying. What this is describing is their boldness in their life. They live their faith in a way that not even property stood in their way. They were so committed to the kingdom of God today that they didn't worry about saving and building generational wealth. I mean, Jesus said it this way, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. What is it describing as a group of believers that were so bold in their faith and so bold in their life that even property didn't stand in their way? Man, if there was a need, 
If there's a need, they met it. In the name of Christ. And just in case some of you are like, oh man, Brian, I just bought a house. It's okay. Like in just a few chapters, there are going to be Christians with houses. All right? So Jesus is not against you having a house. What this is describing is Christians who are so bold in their lives that they live lives in a crazy manner because they were kingdom focused. Man, nothing stood in their way. They used everything they had to bring God glory. What I love about this section is it demonstrates how Peter and John developed boldness and maybe gives us a little bit of a pattern. Number one, you want boldness. Again, I believe what Southern California needs more than new laws and everything else. We need bold Christians who will be bold in their speech. Again, not mean, not loud, confident, and bold, proclaiming the truth of God and living it in their lives. First step, find your people. Man, it's so hard to do the Christian life boldly alone. Peter and John didn't do it. If Peter and John can't do it, good luck to you. Number two, they found people, they prayed, acknowledging God's sovereignty, aligning their heart with his. And thirdly, they lived boldly with their speech and with their life. So my question for you, are you ready? Are you ready to live your life See, I believe the Apostle Paul in his writings, he, he equates Christian life with bold life. Christians are bold. Case in point, 1 Corinthians, Paul describes communion as a time where Christians can remember what Christ did for them and in them, but then he finished that text this way, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. He said, if you do communion, remembering and receiving the sacrifice of Christ for your life, man, if you're doing this, we ought to be doing that as well. This passage so uh, just happened to land on Communion Sunday, first Sunday of the month. First Sunday of the month where we as a church come together and remember the death of Christ, his payment for sins, the blood of Christ that renews and restores us, declares us righteous and empowers us for a position of glory and opportunity. So if you're a Christian, who has already accepted the sacrifice of Christ today or a day before. In just a moment, we'd like to invite you to come forward and receive the elements of communion. But I want to make sure you understand. If you receive this, you live boldly. Let's pray. Father, again, I'm grateful for your word. God, that not only allows us to see human people, regular people, normal people, 
used in a miraculous and powerful and bold way. So God, I come and I ask, God, you'd use us in the same way. God, we pray that you help us to remember your sovereignty. God, and help us to align our hearts with yours. God, surround us with people, your people, our people, people that we can allow into our lives and that will allow us into theirs. God, give us boldness and confidence in taking that step of building relationships with others. And God, we pray you fill us with boldness. God, our community needs it. People who can boldly and confidently proclaim your glory and who can live in such a manner that people can see and glorify you because of our good works. So God, give us boldness and confidence God, that we might bring you even more glory together. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.